gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Um, today, we have a um, an exciting, well, exciting to some, terrifying to others. Uh, see, now you, you already gave it away. He already gave it away. Um, but we we get regular requests that Starwalt be a semi-regular uh-huh. on the Remnant. And uh, now that he has had the uh, pain chip installed, um, by the dispatch, he can't say no when I need him in a pinch. So, uh, and he's always he's always a good sport. So, Chris Starwalt, formerly po- politics editor at Fox News, now my colleague at the American Enterprise Institute and a contributing editor to the Dispatch, um, and pretty soon some other exciting things. Um, Chris Starwalt, welcome back. We're not even going to count any t- anymore how often you've been on here. I, I I feel like I've made this complaint before, but we'll reiterate it here after hearing your conversation with uh, our friend Robert Draper. It, of course, should be a gold lame jacket. It, of course, should say Five Timers Club in red, kind of cursive script on the back, like the Big Ragu's jacket from Laverne and Shirley. And you want to make it a Century 21 pale gold jacket with gold buttons. And I understand why you think that would please your friends in the Georgetown uh, cocktail party circuit. And I know why that seems better to you, but uh-huh. real Americans want a gold LeMay five-timers jacket. No, no, no. I, if your argument is real Americans want to see Chris Starwalt wearing yeah, such yeah, a yeah, jacket, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah, I can yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, both your fans want to see that and your detractors want to see it. Exactly. Hate, <laughs> hate me or love me, me in a Big Ragu style uh, snap up uh, gold lame jacket is what the people want. Yeah. So um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my, um, f- not my first, I had a lot of summer jobs, but one of my summer jobs was I was an ice cream vendor on the street and I had my mobile food vendors license rigorous training course i had <laughs> yeah, to, to the, get that only the best of the best and um uh i started working for a company called um i defecate you negatory love bites <laughs> and these were basically like yuppie bonbons and you gotta remember this is like this is not only like 35 years ago it's also like 65 pounds ago and um i was a a lean teen boy and they wanted me to sell love bites wearing my uniform, which was a tight fitting yeah, yeah, yeah. red t-shirt with a cupid over the heart mm-hmm. and short, tight brown shorts uh, in the West Village on Saturday a, nights. Is there a photo of any kind? Well, that's that's why I bring this up. Whenever I tell this story and about how I switched to Larry's Italian style ices because I was not going to on hot summer nights on Christopher street say, Hey, mister, do you want a love bite? Um, people are like, there must be photos. There have to be, where can I get the photos? Yeah. And if I had one, I would NFT it and auction it off. Yeah. But, uh, I would bid, but no such photos exist. Um, and I I thought you should know that. I think I've told you this before, but the way that I ended up being a reporter was because I needed to get a summer job. And I thought my father was kidding, and he was not. 
that my plan to lay around and drink beer uh, uh, by the country club swimming pool was not his ideal strategy for my summer after uh, graduating high school. Uh, and my the job that I could find because my brother had met a guy who was going to have a hot dog cart in Wheeling, West Virginia. Nice. Uh, which you don't need a mobile food vendor's license in a town of 20,000 people to hand out strange meat uh, to strangers on the street. And uh, I, this, it had fallen to me that there was a hat that would be associated with this. And upon leaving the meeting with the guy to take the job as a hot dog vendor, my teenage soul died. And I thought, I have to do something else. And as we were driving past the newspaper, I said, well, I got to ask. <laughs> I got to ask. I got to do something. And, and very much against reason and their own interest, I got a job writing uh, sports, uh, being an, a, a nighttime sports reporter, which ended up just taking calls and putting in American Legion baseball games uh, into a uh, word processing system that was invented during like the 1950s. Uh, like WordStar 5000 precursor? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it was fantastic, and it was the perfect Damon Runyon space for me, and I loved it so much, and I never looked back. Um, right, so we, now that we've gotten this wonderful memory lane portion. <laughs> no, I, 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 love, I love this stuff, but I always like wonder, is like, our listeners being like, why are they telling me this? Or, right, exactly. You know, um, and, and unfortunately, just so listeners know, Chris was, it wasn't unfortunate that Chris was with me, but Chris was with me um, for the AI conference where the Liz Cheney, Paul Ryan conversation took place, but we are still bound by the off the record rules. So we can't tell you details about all of it, but it was also fun to introduce Chris to some of my uh, AI colleagues in person. And I, I think you had a good time. It remains true for me to say, uh, that, and I was thinking about this just this morning, how lucky I am to have you as a friend, but also as an example. Um, and I think, uh, journalists, of my, my rigorous physical health. It regimen? is, it's, it, I mean, it's your 12 pack. It's the crunches. I'm not going to okay. lie to you. No, just, uh, I think for journalists remembering that how lucky we are to be able to look ahead of us. And you're just a handful of years older than I am, just a little bit older than I am. But I count myself lucky and was telling a, a friend this yesterday about how good it is to have your example to follow uh, as I go along and the breadcrumbs you leave behind. So it's really cool. Um, okay, so we are now, uh, it's official because you did a little of this kind of crap over the weekend. <laughs> No more compliments of me on my own podcast. Right, it makes right, me incredibly right. fine, fine, uncomfortable. Fine. Well, I've said it and I won't say it again. I, I, I'll put a six-month moratorium on the glory lot and honor that you deserve, sir. F fair enough. Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's been entered into the record. We can refer back to it if need be. Just but, uh, Okay. With that preface in mind, um, uh, what is your global take on uh, Cheney Palooza uh, that is unfolding before us? Well, she... If she went, the, I have every expectation that she will be defeated uh, to be, well, there's actually sort of a analogy here for what the Republican Party is going to go through over the next year and a half. Um, the 2022 midterm process is going to be 
it's a time of great opportunity for Republicans. They could take back the House. They could take the Senate. It's it's right there, right? They're, they're starting on third base. Um, but to get there, they're going to have to go through a painful process about how do they talk about Donald Trump's efforts to steal the 2020 election and retain a second term for himself. Like, they're... I am very sympathetic to any partisan on any side who wants to not talk about stuff that's bad for them, right? <laughs> like, right. I, I got it. I don't think that in 76 that Gerald Ford said, let's just revisit Watergate again. Let's talk about the house and the wise. What about the pardon I gave? What do you guys think about that? I understand why you don't want to talk about it. The problem that Republicans have and the reason that they're having such a hard time fixing what's broken in their party is they won't have the first necessary conversation. So I think Liz Cheney is quite right about that. I think that this isn't a wallowing in it or pointing to it unnecessarily or bringing up hard feelings. Donald Trump is still actively trying to steal the 2020 election, right? right. He, he's busy doing it. Uh, and people like Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy helped him when he was doing it. Uh, in ways that violated their own oaths of office. Uh, and it's just true. And until Republicans can, Republicans can't do the things that they want to do. They can't move to unity. They can't do the other stuff until there is at least basic agreement among Republicans that Donald Trump lost the presidential election and why. And until you do that, you can't do the next thing. Uh, I expect Cheney will be defeated unless the uh, MAGA caucus divides itself in multiple ways, but Elise Stefanik, who was a, as you call them, uh, she's not a closet normal anymore. Uh, yeah. She's an enthusiastic election stealer, super mega mega all the way. Uh, and as our colleagues pointed out, voted with Trump at a lower rate than Liz Cheney. Um, that if the if Scalise and McCarthy get it done right, they'll replace uh, Cheney with her. That's significant and we'll get a lot of coverage. But the real question is, can she get through her primary? And her primary will be, I think, in August of next year. And her primary and Gonzalez's primary and the primaries of all 10 of those Republicans who voted to impeach Trump will be one of the tests that the Republicans have to pass in order to move on and be a majority party. Yeah. So let me, let me, I mean, not push back, but, you know, you say that the party can't get to unity and all these kinds of things until it makes peace with the fact that Trump lost. And I kind of see it the opposite. It's that the whole effort to get rid of Cheney and to punish or purge the 10 impeachment voters is an attempt to get unity by agreeing not to talk about or accept the fact um, or concede the fact that Trump lost. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's basically the position of McCarthy and Scalise at this point is whisper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The election wasn't lost and then yell. But Liz Cheney is terrible and divisive because she keeps saying it loudly. Right. And, 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 and as I say, if they wanted to not talk about it, if what they really wanted to do was not talk about it, I would say makes sense. I wouldn't want to talk about it either. If I were you, uh, you acquitted yourselves horribly uh when the chips were down now not every republican did obviously uh and you know that like i think for example mike pence 
Uh, I think his chances of being the next president of the United States uh, went from about one in a million to Mm -hmm. pretty considerable on January 6th, right? Because he did what he was supposed to do. Now he's got to navigate his way around Trump. Uh, I think, I think, it comes so down. You think, wait, 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 wait. You think he improved his chances to become president on January Dramatically. 6th? Dramatically. I think he had no chance and no path. And Donald Trump gave him a path by coming against him. Now we have to see what is Pence going to do when Trump comes again, right? What is he going to do? Because at some point, Trump will become frustrated with Mike Pence being out on the campaign trail. And at some point, Trump will become angry and, and demand whether it's Mike Pence, whether it's Mike Pompeo, whether it's Nikki Haley, whether it's Ron DeSantis, whether any of them, if the bid price, if the ante that you have to put on the table to get in the game is lying about the 2020 election, if that's still true, because it's not, the criticism of Cheney is unfair in, in this way. Yes, she is definitely pointing it out and she's saying it. And what McCarthy's basically saying in a, in a stage whisper is if she would just shut up about this stuff and we could just ignore it, we could talk about how Joe Biden's a socialist and we could all be fine and win the house back. And I don't know why Liz is slowing us down. We're trying to move on to the future. <clears throat> At the same time, People are affirmatively restating and dredging up the 2020 election. The other side of this debate doesn't, it's not like they want to be quiet. They want to be loud. They want to go, Doug Ducey, uh, one of the most conservative governors in the United States, uh, a a tried and true, uh, red all the way through Republican, that this guy may have to go. He may have to be punished for not going along with this. And I, I'm going to tr- attempt to say this word and accept the, the righteous punishment if I err, the Fakakta uh, <laughs> <clears throat> blacklight scanning lunatic action. Can you imagine, and this is what they're doing in Maricopa County, <clears throat> can you imagine how Republicans would react if Pennsylvania Democrats said, we're going to take uh, these three uh, county, Philadelphia and, and, and Montgomery County and Bucks County. We're going to take these three counties. We're going to just handle the ballots. We're just going to touch them a million times. We're going to take them to another place. If the, if the Democratic state Senate of some other state did this, Republicans would correctly make the same argument they did in 2000, which is if you keep touching these ballots and you keep moving these ballots around and you handle them, you're going to spoil them and make it uncountable and, and worthless. And they have already rendered what they're doing in Maricopa County over the objections of Republican Maricopa County officials. They've already rendered the ballots useless because they're just touching them too much and doing this stupid stuff. So if that's the price to get into the game for Republicans, not just to ignore it, but to actively lie about it, then it's not, then it's no good. So, right. So, but, but I mean, two things, one, if that's the, the rule going into 2024, Pence is toast. Right. Uh, but two, um, the people who, I mean, this is what I wrote the Wednesday G file about, but people say that Liz Cheney has to stop bringing this up. That's the McCarthy thing. Right. And, she's sort of like the, she has a Joe Manchin problem where it's not like she's constantly bringing it up. It's that people are constantly asking right. her, right? It's like Joe Manchin is not going out and giving press conferences every day about the filibuster, right? It's that everywhere he goes, like he can, he can lift the lid to a toilet 
And there's a reporter saying, what are you going to do about the filibuster? And said, I, it's okay. Said, I, it's okay. <laughs> um, so, and so he gives an answer, right? And so like the, the person who can't stop bringing it up about, about beyond all the other ones you're talking about is Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump keeps bringing it up. And then people ask her for a reaction. And she says, in effect, he's lying. He tried to steal the election. He interfered with the legitimate transfer of power. And that's what bothers Kevin McCarthy. But what drives me crazy about all this is that if they really thought it was bad to, to, to uh, stay focused on and look backwards on the 2020 election, they would be expressing some dismay about Donald Trump doing it. But instead, it's this class. It's, again, the analogy I always go back to is your crazy racist uncle or crazy weird aunt or whatever who um, you know is going to say something crazy if you trigger them at Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. And then, and then when you say something perfectly reasonable and they go off the rails, your parents get mad at you saying, you knew this was going to set them off, right? You know, as if you're the, the villain here because you just accept the bad behavior from, you know, crazy uncle Donnie here. Right. And you know, that's that the, the dynamic. You know, Leonard Bernstein wrote the score for The Magnificent Seven. You know that your uncle's rabidly anti-Semitic. Your quote from The Magnificent Seven was obviously going to set him off. I don't know why you had to ruin Thanksgiving. Yes, I exactly. Know. Right. That's and that has been the, that has been my life as a conservative for the last five years. Is well, but but the the soft bigotry of low expectations with Donald Trump and the nationalists has afflicted the Republicans from the pretty early going. Right. Uh, Donald Trump in 2012 with the birther thing, when he dabbled in the thought of a presidential run back then, and he and Sheriff Joe Arpaio were going to go to Kenya and get the real, get the real birth certificate, blah, 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 blah. I'd watch that movie. I would totally like, like a Hope Crosby kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the, on the, on the, on the road, uh, uh, to Kenya with Joe Arpaio and Donald Trump. Uh, someone please make that on, uh, Photoshop. Um, the, from that point, look, both parties always want to nod and wink at the lunatics and the dirtbags. They always want to say to people who are both stupid and misguided and malicious, they want to look at those people and say, yeah, let's just, we don't, we're not going to talk about it, but I hear, I sure hear you. Right. And we all do it to varying degrees with our crazy uncles. I have no uncles, but if I did, uh, if one of them was crazy that you do indulge them and say, oh, well, you know, who knows? <laughs> Who right. knows? Maybe he was born in a mud hut in Kenya, and maybe it's all fake. Can we not talk about this right now? What happened in the Republican Party is, and I think Boehner's book uh, didn't address this in ways that he probably should have. I think part of the discussion that didn't address, I think what Liz Cheney is trying to say is Republicans didn't act hygienically and correctly from a political public health standpoint over the past, not just five years, but the past decade. And a little of it is understandable and a little of it's fine, but they're indulging the craziest, worst voices over and over and over again, embolden them to a significant position. And until mainstream Republicans come to believe that that is electoral poison and will cause them to lose races, they're probably not going to, they're probably not going to turn from it. Yeah, I, so I mean, this gets to my meta point about all this is that this isn't really about January 6th. Um, it's that if, I mean, 
again, I don't want to just regurgitate the G file, but the but Liz Cheney voted with Trump like 92% of the time. Mm-hmm. Liz Cheney was beha- was never a never Trumper as as any reasonable definition would hold. Um voted for him twice, I believe. Voted for him twice. Um uh, had a few policy disagreements, but never blew them up to the point where like it was it would look like disloyalty or anything like that. She in effect behaved precisely how all of the like American greatness federalist types said conservatives are supposed to behave in the age of Trump is that you're supposed to hold your nose and be a loyal party person. That's what she was. She took him seriously, but not literally. Yes. And so then you have January 6th, which I believe she believes, I, I believe she's telling the truth about all of that. But the real, the, the real agenda here is that the party is screwed so long as it's a cult of personality to Trump going forward. Maybe not for 2022, but over the long term for a bunch of different reasons. One is when you make the litmus test for a president for a, for a membership in a party, solely loyalty and praise for, for one person. Um, that means that you don't have any ideological consistency, right? You are, um, utterly dependent upon the popularity of that person with the broader electorate, which Donald Trump is not particularly popular with the broader electorate. And you give all sorts of on-ramps and permission structure for terrible, terrible humanoids to enter the party because, well, sure, they're white supremacists or sure, they're anti-Semitic or sure, they're racist, but they're loyal to Trump or sure, they're like, you know, uh, you know, diddling 17 year old girls for cab fare. Um, but they're super loyal to Donald Trump. Um, you get this, uh, you get this kind of system with the popular front mentality defined on a single axis point of, of loyalty to one dude. It's the ruin of a party, particularly when that one dude is so mercurial that he could do something right before an election. That is a replay on a massive scale of like the Georgia runoff. Well, you, you know, you know my thesis, which is I don't care what the article of impeachment for Trump's second impeachment said. If you don't think that trying to steal a second term as president deserves removal and the harshest rebuke possible from Congress, then you don't want a Congress. If yeah. you don't, if you don't think that a sitting president trying to steal power is worth the fullest repudiation possible, then nothing is, right? What Republicans basically said, uh, January 6th, if January 6th had never happened, Donald Trump still should have been impeached. And he still should have been even post facto, not for the sake of the Republican Party, not only for the sake of the Republican Party, but for the sake of Congress and for the sake of balance, the the divided government and the, the our project, right? The American project. Um, because that it, how many panels, how many discussions, how many articles about, uh, the imperial presidency have Republicans and conservatives written and talked about and rightly, right? right. All rightly. Well, if you care about that stuff, even a little, then Liz Cheney is right. And it's funny that the daughter of a man who was one of the greatest proponents for the expansion of executive power is currently the foremost spokeswoman on behalf of limiting executive power. Right. And, and th- things have a weird way of working out here. But the, the problem 
we need two healthy parties. We need a good Republican party and a good Democratic party. And as bad as the Republicans have become, they're letting the Democrats off the hook. And as I wrote about last week in the, or this, whatever week, uh, for the dispatch in my Monday column, the way you judge the success of a party is not by its, or the way you judge the success of a, of a movement is not by how deeply it entrenches itself into one of the parties, but the degree to which that the other party has to pay attention to it and honor its precepts. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon and their presidencies who really ratified the new deal. They were the guys who said, nope, it's here actually to stay. Social security is not going anywhere. Uh, and in Nixon then ratified the great society and expanded government and expanded executive power and created the EPA and did all that stuff. Those concepts weren't, did not reach their high watermark until the other party accepted and advanced them. This was true about the conservative project in America from 19, if you, from 1980 to Bill Clinton's 1996, the era of big government over, uh, era of big government is over, uh, speech, uh, for his state of the union in 96, which was his kick the kickoff for his reelection campaign. That was the high watermark for conservatives because the democratic party even had to say, yeah, 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 we got it. <laughs> right. The, right. The, the conservatives defeated the Republican party won the ideological argument inside the GOP, won three smashing electoral victories in a row. And the Democratic Party said, I guess we have to get on board with some of this. Um, I, I want to get off of um, Cheney voter stuff, but I did want to call to your attention that something called the American Greatness Fund. Oh, boy which is apparently some sort of remora or carbuncle or perhaps goiter to the website <laughs> American Greatness, um, has launched something called the Election Integrity Alliance. And uh, it's dedicated, uh, the Election Integrity Alliance will unite groups and efforts across the nation focused on combating election fraud and will build solutions and provide resources to state legislatures, blah, 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 blah. Um, they say they support free and fair elections, the U.S. Constitution and the rule of law, the Electoral College, the plenary power of state legislators to govern election law, and the God-given right of the people to self-govern. Their national board will include, there are a couple of people here I haven't heard of, but some of you clearly have. Um, there is Jenna Ellis. Oh, boy. Um, uh, former attorney and counsel of President Trump, uh, Ken Paxton. Presumably, if he may have to like do these, might have to join some of these meetings, but via Zoom from jail. Um, <laughs> Peter Navarro. Oh boy, Bernie Carrick. Yep. Uh, two lawyer types I've not heard of. I'm going to tell you who they are if you want. Michael Donnelly and Myrna Tarath, both Trumpies, and. Sebastian Gorka, former deputy assistant for strategy to President Trump. The, that is the full Gorka. board. Not Sebastian Gorka, please, Jonah. Dr. <laughs> Gorka. <laughs> that By is beach powder. It is, a, that is, it is a quite good Gorka you do there. The point with Dr. Gorka is to over-enunciate everything in a ridiculous British accent. This um, is the key. A friend, I have to a say, friend, a friend the of best mine thing had, about him is his voice, right? I mean, other than that, 
you know, um, a, fr- a friend of mine uh, got two uh, Hungarian hogs, uh, and he named one Sebastian and the other Gorka. So that when it came to uh, time to scald the hogs, he wouldn't feel mm-hmm. bad about doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I told you I was at that not not the the stop the steal one on January sixth, but the first Trump rally downtown DC. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I my wife and I and my daughter we just wanted to see it, and so we were walking along, and I saw Gorka um, emerge. I you to die, Mister Goldberg, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and hold impromptu speeches to just whatever crowd would gather around him. And oh man, and I, I like I very rarely in the Trump years have actually felt physically worried about the safety of me or my family. I mean, there have been a yeah, couple yeah, times yeah. which we don't need to talk about, but just I felt a little bit like maybe I was um, one of the Lannister kids when they were going through. Uh, uh, king's landing and the mob turned on them all he would have to do is do a like invasion of the body snatchers donald sutherland bony pointy finger at me amid the high amid the high-pitched squeal that reference i get i never watched uh game of thrones but that one i got that one i know and the crowd would just turn on me and tear me limb from limb you know i mean not the whole crowd a lot of them were decent enough people but the kind of people who cling to sebastian gorka's every word probably as there's a selection bias there um, and so like, I was just, I stood a little apart behind like a light pole and I just watched the scene and there was a certain sort of Lenin at Finland station feel to it. Like he Very had nice. returned to his people. Um, and, uh, uh, but I still stand by and want credit for, I believe I am the coiner of the phrase, never go full Gorka. Never um, go full Gorka. Amen. Yes, 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 so. yes. And, and how much money will those people take from decent, hardworking right. or elderly Americans and the Republican addiction to scam political groups long predates the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's true on the democratic side too. We can find uh, Bernie Sanders first campaign was mm-hmm. a grift that accidentally turned into a, a viable candidacy for president. That was sort of the story of Bernie Sanders 20. Like, whoa, okay. <laughs> we were just here. We were just here to mark up uh, media to sell back to ourselves at 15%. But I guess <laughs> if you want to, if you want us to try, we could. Um, Maybe the, we will seize the means of production. Let's yeah, give it a whirl. <laughs> I'm open to it. As long as I can buy uh, a new yacht to put uh, at my second home. The, the grift part of this stuff, you know, Newt Gingrich was one of the early mm-hmm. adopters of the, if you, uh, little old lady in Del Barton, West Virginia, do not send me $15 immediately. I cannot stop abortion. And you're like, right. well, well, you can't stop abortion no matter whether she buys generic cat food or regular cat food, uh, Mr. Speaker. So this uh, is a longstanding part of things. But now, thanks to the connectedness of all things, those people will be able to extract or could extract considerable money, millions of dollars from Americans who, and and this is the heartbreaking part in all of this. I have no sympathy at all for the likes of McCarthy and Scalise who know the truth and know what's up 
and made the choices that they made to try to help Trump steal the election knowingly, right? When Ted Cruz said, I'd argue at the Supreme Court, I would go, I would go take up the case that Texas gets to tell Pennsylvania how to hold an election. And it's like your Federalist Society tie just burst into flames on your body, right. Senator. I don't know. I don't know. You should, you should talk to a doctor potentially. Um, the, I have no sympathy for the people who willfully, knowingly deceived, but I have endless sympathy for the people who have been sincerely duped. And it is heartbreaking to watch people who want to make their country better and do a good thing and are deeply invested in those things get robbed over and over. Donald Trump switched the, he took the RNC donation kitty and turned it into a super PAC for himself two weeks after the election, after yeah. the, after the election for him, money that he can spend and use however he wants to spend and use, including to pay salaries for himself or others. If he wants to, to f- travel around the stuff that people rightly busted the Clintons for, uh, the Peter Schweitzer work, all of the things rightly, um, have busted the Clintons for being gross, buck raking, self-interested and crooked applies to Donald Trump a hundred times over, right? It's all true. And then some, and that's the, that's the sad part. You know, I agree. I mean, just, just as a national resource, taking so much sincere patriotic sentiment and frittering it away on nonsense is, is, is heartbreaking. All right. So I, I hadn't planned on asking you about this. And in fairness, I hadn't really planned on asking you anything because I didn't oh, do any planning. Oh for this one. boy! <laughs> but, oh boy! Um, uh, since some listeners will think that so far this has been too never Trumpy, um, oh god! It occurs to me you were not part of the dispatch back then. You were, you know, drinking champagne out of slippers at Fox News at the time. But um, as one does, as one does, um, just. It would have been better if you had the person remove their foot first. But anyway, um, uh, there was a robust debate months ago um, back when my friend, and he's still my friend, Bill Crystal, uh, was of a more, and, 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 and Charlie Sykes and others, were of... Um, of a slightly different orientation to these issues than they are today. I think that's Mm -hmm, a fair mm -hmm, way of putting it. mm -hmm. Uh, There was this debate with me and David French and a few other people on one side and Charlie and, and and Bill and some others on the other side about burn it all down in terms of the GOP or work with, you know, or, or work selectively with people. And like part of my objection to all that is that I am not a political player and I don't want to be a political player. And so I don't think in those terms anyway, but, Two, uh, part of my objection to that, just as a pundit or an analyst, was who are you to burn it down? I mean, like, you don't have that power. And if you don't have that power, you know, like, it's like, you know, should we, should we dye the sun green? Right. It's kind of exactly. a weird question to ask if you don't know how to do that. And, um, but the people who said burn it all down is like anyone who was involved with Trump and is complicit with Trump, they all have to go, blah, blah, the blah, blah, The blah. of the Republican Party, yes. All that stuff. And by those standards, Liz Cheney would have to go. Yeah. And now Bill and others are celebrating her as 
a world historic figure. They're cutting ads about her as a world historic hero and all this kind of thing. And I don't want to get into a big I told you so kind of thing, but this is sort of the point is there's room for redemption for a lot of a lot of closet normals back then saw January 6th and they're like, I'm done. This is it. I'm out. Problem is that some of them like like Lindsey Graham went back on their word on it. But (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, if you can't say if 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 your mode was to say they're all corrupted by not condemning Trump a year ago, uh, then. How do you explain Liz Cheney? And anyway, I just think it's an interesting thing to point out. You can take it or leave it as you wish. I, I, I will, I will take, take this part of it, which is the reason I have devoted my professional life, other than not wanting to sell hot dogs uh, out of a cart, the reason I have devoted my professional life to political journalism um, is because elections are awesome to cover and fun to cover and all these other things. They're also real clarifying, right? Elections clarify things. Um, and I am a person who wishes that Americans cared less about politics. I am a person who wishes that we, we are like, um, Americans today are like legalistic Christians who are enforcing all of the, the rules and the tough stuff and all of that stuff, but not experiencing the joy and salvation on the other side, not taking the upside, the upside of, uh, the Republican form of government is that by delegating your authority to other people, you get two years off at a time, right? (laughs) As citizens, we get two years off at a time. And our duty, yes, you should also vote in your local mayoral election uh, and on whether or not Washington, D.C. will allow hallucinogenic mushrooms uh, to be sold or whatever it is that comes up. Yes, everyone should participate in everything. But we know that every, we only have to vote really every other year when you, in, in most cases. And we don't enjoy the upside of saying, well, we'll check back uh, in the next election to see how you were doing and we'll vote for you or, or not. I'll either vote for, I'll give you my proxy back or I won't. And people who obsess over which direction what parties are going to take are so, it's so dumb. What a shocking waste of time. The direction that the Republican Party is going to take is going to be determined by the results of elections and the perception among the leaders in the party about what those elections meant. That's what will happen. And I will also tell you that until the Republicans take a beating, they're not going to give up the Trump stuff because they kind of think maybe it worked, right? They kind of think maybe it worked. And there's no ad that any PAC, the, you know, the Lincoln Project, you know, Lord Almighty, uh, there's no ad that somebody's going to cut or somebody's going to do that's going to make people change their minds about what comes next in the same way that the results of the 2022 election will, right? The perceived wisdom of what happened, the the perceived and received wisdom of what, what happens next year in the midterms will determine whether... Ron DeSantis gets back out the MAGA baby blocks or whether he is running as a mainstream normal Republican, right? right. These guys will change their tunes uh, to suit whatever the market, they think the market will demand. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I have very low expectations for the courage of politicians. That said, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I get very uncomfortable when someone gets to the squeezes especially someone of 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 your size squeezes in the in the crawl space of more cynical than i um but 
I think I'm not as cynical as you are. I think okay. that the system works and that we just, that we have to let, there is the only way, uh, the only way out is through and people just have to go through it. And we're not going to resolve, the Republicans are not going to resolve this debate until they have to go through elections and elections will be what will clarify things and, and other things will debate won't. Okay, fair enough. Maybe cynical is the wrong word, unless we want to go back to the original understanding of cynicism with Diogenes about rejecting the rules of the world. But that's that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to go down that right now. Um, I, I, I cede your point. Uh, um, and, and yeah, I accede to your wishes, sir. But blase or 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 devil may care. I like you. You were just not going to get worked up about some of this stuff. I won't. And while I stand by everything I've said about not wanting to be like a party guy and care about yeah, yeah, yeah. and be, but that said, I think as an objective matter. And to the extent I care more about the future of the Republican party than the democratic party, because it's the more conservative party and it's the yeah. natural mouthpiece of the ideology and the political ideas that I've, I've dedicated a lot of my adult life to. Um, it would be very good if you agree with my outlook on life <laughs> If the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach managed to win their primaries and got reelected, because that would send a signal, the kind of election signal you're talking about, to other Republicans that Trump is not Stalin who can purge you at a moment's notice, right, that right. they don't have the power to control the primaries, which is really the source of most of Trump's control of the Republican Party over the last five right. years. Has, is not that, you know, he thinks that he can attack someone personally and it destroys them. And that's never been the case. He's not, I mean, he, nope. he's attacked lots of people personally and it, it's made them stronger because it only works in primaries because he can affect the attitudes of enough Republican primary voters to screw someone's chance of getting uh, a primary or win and a primary. He's and, and he's lost plenty of primaries too. Right? Yes. Right. He's he. It's true that he has succeeded in multiple primaries backing candidates, but it's also true that he has. Uh, Doug Jones was in the United States Senate uh, from the great from the Yellowhammer state of Alabama because Donald Trump couldn't win a primary. Uh, he couldn't get Luther Strange over the finish line uh, mm -hmm. against a guy who was banned from the mall food court, and that was not the when. Paul Ryan's primary challenger. Do you remember that cat? I can't. Paul uh, Nealon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was a bad person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. And there was like white nationalist stuff hanging mm -hmm. around on his Twitter account, and whatever. I forget what all the controversies were. But Trump believed that they could defeat Paul Ryan because he said so. And that was one of the first things that happened inside the Republican Party that made the Mitch McConnell approach of hear no evil. See, like, I'm, I'm just going to ignore you and do what I want to do. I'm just going to ignore you and do what I want to do. And I think we tend to underestimate the share of Republicans who very happily will move on from Donald Trump, have already moved on from Donald Trump, who right. are not at home thinking about Donald Trump, right? Who it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't factor into their thinking. If a pollster gets them on the phone, depending on how you ask a set of questions, you could come up with some pretty shocking numbers. If you ask Republicans, do you think uh, irregularity, uh, that Joe Biden's victory was a result of irregularities in voting, you could probably get a really high number. You could probably get 60% of Republicans to say, yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all hashtag stop the steal, going to send 10 bucks to Jenna Ellis. Right. And I guess the thing is, 
I understand why Republicans are frustrated and I understand why they're embarrassed and I'm perfectly content to go let them be embarrassed. Uh, I'm not content to let them try to re-steal the election. And if that comes up, then uh, uh, falsity has to be addressed. I understand that. Liz Cheney's not wrong. It has to be addressed. And when people lie in front of you, you do have an obligation to correct them. Um, and if the United States is going to remain a healthy country, and I do believe that we are, we have a lot of problems, but I do believe that we are fundamentally a healthy nation. Um, our politics lags that is a lagging indicator uh, of those things. But if we want to be, we have to also acknowledge that the chance that we could interrupt our precious, precious inheritance of the peaceful transference of power, uh, that that is in jeopardy. And that's not something we could have said five years ago. Today, you have to say it's true that we are living in a country where it's possible where the peaceful transference of power could be disrupted in a, in a, in a future election in the near term. Now we have to say, yes, it's true. That's something we didn't have to say uh, just five years ago. Um, you're not a big Facebook guy. I'm not a big Facebook guy. Nope. Um, I, um, I only know that cause I only heard you say that you have Instagram and yeah, yeah, yeah. That you hate Twitter and, um, uh, mostly just for nudes tasteful, but you know, it's what it's, 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 I'm an influencer. It's how it works. I, I get it. I get it. Um, <laughs> but have you, do you have strong opinions about, I mean, I, I don't want to steal, uh, some thunder from our, our legal podcast advisory opinions, but, um, do you have strong feelings about this Facebook oversight board thing, Bob, and these various issues? I have strong feelings about what is happening on the conservative jurisprudential right uh, about uh, what these companies are uh, and the effort to treat them like the water company. Uh, and I am deeply uneasy when I read what Clarence Thomas is talking about these days unprecedented control of people over speech. Do you remember when there were three networks, Justice yeah. Thomas? Do you recall that when there were three networks and two wire services and three newspapers that set the agenda for the whole country? How about that? Did we have the right, should we have had the right then to go in to CBS News in 1965 and say, eh, you've got a little bit too much power here. We're going to determine, we're, uh, we're going to appoint a group of people to rule over you. The enthusiasm when you hear that exchange between uh, Tucker Carlson and J.D. Vance and say, well, what do you say? He says, mocking people who, who like me, who are concerned about private property rights uh, and individual liberty. What do you say to people who say, you know, Google's a private company. It's not the government's company. And J.D. Vance says, I don't care. And he says it like he's, you know, coming out of the closet yeah. as I love, I love authoritarianism. And it is possible to hate the government and Facebook. It's possible to hate. It's, it's possible. I do it all the time. I right. do it all the time. I can, I can have contempt for uh, the overbroad ambitions of Josh Hawley and Clarence Thomas and other people who want to put the federal government uh, in a position of power over the speech and communication and business operations of these companies. And at the same time, publicly hold a position that Twitter is an open sewer and irredeemable. Both of those things can be true. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, and, and if for those out there who think there's some contradiction in there, 
Chris is very much like Walt Whitman. He contains multitudes. Uh, and um, no, I, look, I mean, I, I, I agree with you entirely about all of that. Um, the, what, one of the things that kind of worries me is the way so much of this media stuff, social media and major media stuff is shot through with the paranoid style of American politics at this yep, point yep, where, where yep. like everyone agrees that the mainstream media these days, and we know what we mean by the mainstream media, it's, but it's not really actually that mainstream anymore. No media right. is really that mainstream anymore. Right. Uh, Fox in some ways comes closest, but, yeah. um, um, and if there's a plane crash, CNN is mainstream media because that's when, you know, everyone tunes into the news. But, um, um, there's this idea out there that the media has never been more powerful and never been more concentrated. And it's like so much closer to the opposite for both. Opposite is true. You know, yep. um, and, uh, I heard a clip on special report last night from Josh Hawley saying, this is a very close paraphrase. It certainly captures the spirit of it. Um, one company has control over the future of, uh, of the first amendment and free speech in this country. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that is, I mean, what, what did, um, what did the lady say? Um, to Ron Fantana about what sex Panther smells like? It smells like, uh, old Indian food in a soiled diaper. I mean, it's just yeah, like, it's yeah, such yeah, hot yeah. garbage. It's so yeah, dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they say it with such confidence. And it's actually a Bigfoot joke in that series of, of what there it is. smells like. There is a Bigfoot joke for you and your fellow Bigfoot enthusiasts. People can Google that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and like, and I, I have such a hard time Some people, we know some people that we've seen on TV that we have met in green rooms mm -hmm. that are very smart and then say mm -hmm. dumb things on TV. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we've all also, the time. We've also met some people who say incredibly dumb things on TV because they are dumb. Right. And along that spectrum, there are people who just sort of mirror what, they're, they're, they ape what the audience wants to hear. I am of the school that Charlie Kirk is not nearly as smart as he and his defenders claim, but I don't think he's a moron. No. And, um, he tweeted yesterday or the day before that the Supreme court must overturn the Facebook oversight commissions committees ruling. Oh my gosh. And, oh my gosh. And then he went on to like gild the lily with all sorts of stuff about the future of freedom and first amendment and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I, so my immediate response was, uh, I made some joke about how I agree the Supreme court should overturn a lot of private companies decisions. I don't like, mm -hmm. like McDonald's stopped frying their French fries in, in beef fat in the nineties. And they got worse. That Supreme court should totally overturn. Totally. That. If Yes. And in addition to that, uh, the pina colada Slurpee uh, at 7-Eleven should be available all the time. And yeah. if it's not, my rights are being, my right to enjoy a refreshing beverage is being interrupted. The question is whether the court would rule or how it would be split among the justices on the question of should the McRib be served year round or not at all?
And I don't know where I even come down on that as a person who eating, uh, eating a McRib, uh, is you, you're looking forward to it as you consume it. It doesn't feel good. Like as you're doing it, you're like, I think I've made a mistake. This isn't as good as I thought it was. And then you get like a mild headache and like you feel there's, mm-hmm. there's a disassociative feeling that you have. And then you're like, no, it was good. It was worth it. And I think we need the time. I think we need a year to process both physically and emotionally the McRib before we're ready to indulge again in the fall. And it's, it's usually James Bond movies and the McRib usually come out in November, which is when my birthday is. And I don't think this is by accident. Yeah. So, uh, this reminds me, do you know of the Seven Eleven spicy Jamaican beef patty? I do. I have okay. had it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I've had it. I used to have it at two in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I when I had been overserved irresponsibly by some establishment, and um, uh, um, you know the the one of the key experiences of it is trying to make sure that the dark red oil that it is filled with doesn't go all the way down your arm and off your elbow. Yeah, um, yeah. but you will never whatever you stain with that oil will never be made clean ever in human history. Yeah, it's sort of like the Simpsons where Bart and uh, is and and Homer are eating at some place which makes crazy fried food and it's so greasy that they take I think just the burger or something and they rub it on the wall of the diner and then and they it can opens, see through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, but but they also use that gag if you remember when Homer was trying to become housebound fat uh and where the moomoo one the of moomoo, the greatest, yeah, yeah. that uh a Dr. Hibbert explained to him that if the if you can rub food on the paper bag and it becomes translucent, that's clear. That's you. That that's your pathway to gain. And so just test all foods <laughs> by first rubbing them against a brown paper bag to determine whether or not this is greasy enough for you to eat. But um, I became convinced because I wasn't always sure. I mean, they say it's a spicy Jamaican beef, you know, and you know, and and of course Jamaica is known for its cattle industry. Yeah, it's but, huge. Um, I was never 100% positive that the main ingredient was beef. And over time, me and my buddies, we decided that the, the main ingredient was regret. Yes. Man, the, the, uh, like Crystal Burgers, like White Castle, uh, like uh, Noggles, uh, like a lot of things. Uh, I'm, I will upset the Del Taco fans when I include Del Taco in this category. Uh, th- like a lot of things, these are foods that are the devil's bargain incarnate, right? They're like, you don't think it's good. I don't think it's good, but that's not why we're here right now. This is like calling an ex, right? This is like guys get drunk and call their ex. That's what, uh, that's what a Jamaican beef patty is. And it should, it, it, it's, it's important that exists, but it's important that we also acknowledge that it's wrong. I mean, there must be a fantastic German word and someone knows what it is. Please let me know because you know, I collect such things for an action that you are taking your your decision you're making willingly that in the very moment you're making it and acting on it you know is a terrible mistake the, this is this is like the biden administration's incredibly racist choice to ban mentholated cigarettes to try to yes. ban mentholated cigarettes on behalf of black people mm. and i'm like so you think that people who are smoking a Newport, and I have smoked Newports. When I, here's how, here's, I wasn't a, a heavy smoker, but I was a devoted smoker. 
mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of my life uh, until 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, I was a pretty devoted smoker. And the, <laughs> the thing is, nobody ever smoked a Newport and said, ah, this is good for me. This has got to be good. I feel great about my, I feel great about the choices I'm making, taking these dried chemically uh, dipped leaves that have been chopped up and lighting them on fire and sucking them into my lungs. It's got to be good. No one thinks that it's good. President Biden, trust me, no Newport smoker has ever said that, but they also say, eh, I'm doing it anyway. Um, I guess we should talk about Biden just very quickly. I know we're, we're coming up on time here, but, um, uh, so I talked about this on the dispatch pod. I wrote a column about it. We don't have to belabor it, but I've been making, you know, every president, every democratic president still thinks they're FDR or wants to be FDR. Right. I mean, and with the exception of, of, of Clinton who kind of wanted to be more Kennedy than FDR yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, better parties, but, and, um, and, I, and I also think that can be said of Obama. I think that Obama, if you think back to when he took Ted Kennedy's endorsement, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, yes, the, the debate about Obama, you remember the debate about Obama was, is he more Lincoln or more FDR? Which right. is it? And it's like, oh, that's a scintillating debate there. Newsweek magazine. Uh, yeah. the guy hasn't done anything but get elected yet. Um, I, but I think that the Kennedy urge is always there, but I think that's not where Biden is. I think Biden is LBJ in this thing. All right. So I've been using the LBJ analogy a lot and, yeah, yeah. um, but the reports about these meetings with historians that he's, um, you know, they're saying this is your FDR moment. He wants to go big they, and all of this kind of stuff. And I, I guess you're right. We should, we should caveat that it's not necessarily in the president's head all the time, but it is in liberalism's head. Yeah. 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 That we need another new deal. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many comments I've written about how every, every time anything, if Chuck Schumer stubs a toe, it's time for a new, new deal. New deal. Right. Um, when, uh, uh, when Obama went to, uh, Osawatomie, Kansas, to pitch his New Deal. He chose it because that's where Teddy Roosevelt. Right. But it was called the New his, Foundation, I believe. Yes. And yes. that's because that's where Teddy Roosevelt gave his new nationalism speech. Right. Uh, and th- yes, they're very, they're, 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 ve- it's good and bad that presidents are always thinking about history, right? Remember, Bush uh, became totally into reading Teddy Roosevelt. His, yeah. they always like Teddy Roosevelt because he's an activist. Uh, but, I, I get why it's good and bad for Joe Biden to be thinking about his place in history and what he's doing and how it relates to it. But my only point is, is like, so uh, um, Atlantic has a big piece about this is a new progressive era. Um, the write-ups in response to the State of the Union or the address to Congress were this is New Deal, New Deal, blah, 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 new progressive era, blah, 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 blah. I get why people who want a new progressive error, you know, it's like, it's sort of like my, I, I love David Brooks dearly, but my criticism of David Brooks over the last 20 years is he so hates the culture war that he's constantly looking for evidence that it's over. Yeah. Like the drunk looking for the light under the, his car yep. keys under yeah, light. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's constantly f- fooled by the, sort of, let's call it anic data. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only in the last couple of years where he's like, I can't, I can't, fool myself anymore this is this is the culture war's not over but um lots of people want there to be new progressive air and all that and i remember making this argument a lot under obama you know when they had him photoshopped his fdr on the cover of time magazine and all that stuff oh yeah the new deal was popular sure 
right? And if you go and you look, and and so were the Democrats. So I went back and I looked at like the 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 results from 1930 under Hoover, and then FDR and um and then FDR's midterms. And you know FDR was the first guy what since the since Reconstruction to gain seats in both houses right. during his midterms during midterms. Yep. Um, they went. In 1930, they gained, I don't know, it was like 52 seats. And then yeah. in 1932, it was 100 seats. And then um, they had a supermajority in the Senate. Uh, you can do a lot of New Deal-y stuff when a supermajority of Congress and a supermajority of the American people are okay with it. And this idea that we're in the middle of a new progressive era, a new New Deal kind of era is belied by the fact that the reason why they're doing all of this stuff now isn't because they have the winds at their back. It's because they are, they're sailing into the winds. Right. And there's a very precious small amount of time before they lose the wind. You know, they, they lose the opportunity to do anything at all. That's not how the progressive era works. That's not how the new deal era works. It's the opposite of that. And, um, and I'm just sort of, you know, it's like, do you actually think like, let's say they get some something close to the number they want on this next infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. Do you really think that they're going to get the number on the, they're going to get the second one that, you know, human infrastructure thing passed, or is this going to peter out pretty quickly? I don't know how much more money uh, the federal government is going to spend over the next year than the baseline increases would uh, dictate, but it's going to be a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Will it be uh, another Two trillion, three trillion, four trillion. I don't know how much more beyond. So, if if the government costs four trillion dollars a year or so to run, will we spend five, six, seven, eight? Not. I don't know. Uh, but here's what I do know, and here's what conservatives forgot: free money is super popular. Free money is super popular, and the way that Donald Trump, Donald Trump, and Bill Clinton are a lot alike in a lot of ways. Um, and one of the things that Donald Trump did. Like, there's a reason they were friends. One of the things that Donald Trump did was say, let's steal their issues, right? right. Uh, why, why? So immigration restriction was a Democratic issue, not a Republican cause. Uh, uh, protectionism and trade was a Democratic cause, not a Republican one. And Trump said, they're just all laying out here. Why shouldn't we go take advantage of this? When he... Uh, reversed himself and betrayed all the Republicans and said, actually, it should be a $2,000 stimulus check, not a $1,400 stimulus check. It was like, have you guys heard? Just give people what they want all the time and they like you better. Mm. And the, 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 where we're heading as a country is the same place we did in the 1970s, which is there will eventually be consequences. I don't know when and how exactly it takes shape, but when no one will be responsible, and neither party will stand up for fiscal discipline and neither party will stand up for limited government, you, you'll wreck it, right? And you'll have stagflation and lines at the gas station. You'll have the United States globally in retreat, at which point people will say, and I, the, I, the way I, uh, what would to quote Churchill again, uh, the, the, the Lord looks after children drunks in the United States of America. We have been incredibly fortunate that we have always come out of these moments better than we went in, right? We have grown and been better. The, the benefits of the period 1963 to 1975, which was such an awful period in a lot of ways, the, we also went to the moon. Uh, we also figured right. out that you couldn't have uh, 
government enforced uh, racism that you couldn't do that. We, we figured out a lot of stuff along the way. Um, the thing that concerns me, and this goes back to our earlier discussion, the thing that concerns me is that right now, Republicans believe, if you look at the whole Matt Gates story, Matt Gates was the embodiment of this thing that said, you know, nothing matters. Uh, conservative, liberal, big government, small government, ideology doesn't matter. Uh, telling the truth doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters. And he kept getting more famous and more access to Trump and, and, and moving up the ladder. And it would not be unreasonable for people in Congress to other Republicans in Congress and elsewhere to look at that and go, maybe nothing does matter. Maybe we mm -hmm. should just tell people what they want to hear hundred percent of the time. Maybe we should spend like drunken sailors. Maybe we should just do all of this stuff because there's no consequences to it. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell them, uh, you should absolutely know that one day the consequence, the bill will come due on all this stuff. The prayer the hope is that the the United States is yet again like that. You know, um, Jefferson wanted the the uh, symbol of the United States to be the children of Israel, because the story is always the same. We stray, we stray, we stray, we stray. We seek our own heart. We seek our own desire. We forget the things that make us successful. Uh, but the the truth is. Uh, when we suffer, when the hurt is great enough, we return to the things that made us great in the first place. And I just hope that we yet again get to go through this process and don't suffer a consequence so great that we blow ourselves up along the way. So we just need to get lucky one more time, baby. Um, that's a nice, cheerful place to end. I mean, I was waiting for, <laughs> I was waiting for the children of Israel to find good deli, but that works too. Um, <laughs> but no, but, uh, no, uh, uh, cloven hooves, no shellfish, and no uh, beetles, bats, insects, bugs, anything like that. Um, I have no, I have no response to cash root jokes. Um, <laughs> um, I have never been, I have never been kosher. I respect people who can pull it off. Jo that um, was Jonah. That was that was the Jonas, the original Jonas. That was a big part of his message, right? The uh, Jonah was one of the givers of the the Kashrut law and all of that code. He was a big deal. Um, well, <laughs> of course. Although, <laughs> Only just, the best. Just so you know, um, and listeners know, you know. Uh, well, obviously, I'm partly the name Jonah is, is is an allusion to the prophet Jonah and all the sweet, sweet Nineveh action. But um, part of it is uh, where my parents actually got the inspiration to name me uh, Jonah was that they were at a um, uh, jazz show with Jonah Jones, and Good they were cool like, name. and they were like, "That is a fantastic name. We got to name the kid Jonah." And the, uh, there, there, there was a guy named uh, Richard Halverson who was the chaplain of the Senate for approximately a hundred million years uh 50s 60s and he was the pastor at the new york avenue presbyterian church and he had a benediction which is what christian that, that's your last blessing as you go uh and he said and i will get choked up even saying this because i love it so much wherever you go god is sending you and wherever you are christ who indwells you is working through you and the jonah story the point of the jonah story is that wherever you go god is sending you and wherever you are go do the thing I like it. I like it. I mean, um, 
It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm Verklund. But I won't I I won't I won't veer into pre- glory laud and honor for you again. I promise. I'll keep it clean. I'm, uh, I won't I won't break my six month pledge. I I I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, no, look, I mean, as I often say, I come from a long line of Jews who think compliments are bad luck. And um, I understand. Um, and uh, but you know, we are again, we are delighted to have you on board the dispatch. We will have you back on soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, too soon, according to some. Not soon enough, <laughs> according, soon to enough according to many. Exactly. But uh, um, uh, keep prospering, my friend, and um, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Doctor. Okay, so Dr. Steyerwald has uh, left the studio, and um, always great to have him on. Um, uh, I got a lot of great, helpful, both positive and also constructive feedback on the whole social Darwinism thing. And so I think you know, how we do it. Is it for subscribers only? Is it not? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have internal discussions on, but the, the gist was that people think I should do more of it. They have some tips about how to do it better or what topics to do. That's all fine. But the, the, the general response was pretty positive, which I appreciate. And one of the things I like about knowing that is that, first of all, I've just got a lot of pet egghead issues that I would like to dilate on or that I have dilated on in the past that I would like to redilate on. Um, and it also, given the hectic nature of my schedule sometimes, it's nice to know that in a pinch, I can do something like that and people will not shun me or riot or um, leave burning bags of various substances on my front doorstep. So um, thank you for the feedback. Please keep it coming. If there are other topics um, that you want me to discuss, that would be great. And helpful as well. Oh, one housekeeping thing. Uh, there's one gentleman in particular who's been uh, pointing this out to us quite a bit. And he is absolutely right. I want to be clear and we're grateful to it. It is bizarre and unhelpful that in our show notes, we do not put links to our advertisers. And because some people, you know, want to like, Go to visit the advertiser. We're asking people to visit the advertiser. We make money off of people going to the URL that we talk about and, and checking it out. And it would be a better world if, I don't know about a better world, it would be better for you and better for us if we did it. We are working on figuring out how to do that. The, I know it sounds like super simple. The complicating factor is that because of our relationship with Stitcher and, and our distribution agreement with them, they will change the ads in the shows for different purposes or at different times. And so one person listening at one point in time in one part of the country will hear one ad and somebody in another part of the country at a different period of time may hear another ad. This is one of the reasons why I can't do my wildly popular and clever transitions to the ads anymore because I don't know what ad is going to play in the specific episode. And so putting the ads in the podcast show notes is um, complicated. And we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. Maybe we'll just list all the advertisers for a single month in every show note or something like that. We've got teams of people working on it night and day. Um, it's really, it's, it's, it's like the Apollo program. Uh, I'm being sarcastic, but it is a, it's a good point. And I just, I keep meaning to bring it up on here. And I probably take too much time to talk about it now but I just wanted to get it out there. Um, other than that, please subscribe to the dispatch. 
we're hitting some great benchmarks, but we're also in what we call the churn period, which is that a bunch of people who signed up exactly one year ago, um, you know, they're renewing and some of them aren't renewing and some of them are renewing are on net. We're doing well, but we don't want to lose anybody and we want to gain a lot more people. So if you can subscribe, that would be wonderful. Exciting things are coming in 2021 and for sure in 2022. We think we're doing important work. Um, we hope that you do too. Uh, so if you can subscribe to the dispatch, um, even on a trial basis, uh, we would really appreciate it. And you would be helping us do the stuff that we want to do. You'd also be helping us prove that our business model was sound. Um, and, um, and you would help us one day be able to have nice things. So with that, um, I want to say thank you to everybody. I feel like I've been gone forever because I was gone for a few days. Um, and it's great to be back and I will see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast. <laughs>